welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's guest is Andy Martin. Andy is the Managing Director of Martin Plan Hire out of Glasgow, Scotland, and he's second generation rental after his father started the business 47 years ago. I'm interested in talking to Andy about a few different topics such as how he worked his way through the family business and got into the position he is today, his take on the Scottish rental market, and also to discuss more about Andy's recent acquisition of the rights to the Easy Tool Hire Scotland brand, which will transform his business, making things easier for the customer and growing a stronger online presence. Andy, thank you for joining me today. To kick things off, can you talk to me about how you first got into the equipment rental industry? I'd have to say that I originally got into the construction rental industry when I was about seven years old back in 1974 when the business was established. Back then, my father set the business up with, I think, 10 still saws and a number of, uh, a number of, uh, of chainsaws. And uh, all the equipment was stored on our, our dining room table for him starting out with a couple of vans uh, and his partner back in, back in 1974. But I, having left school, gone to university, I then so I worked in advertising and marketing uh, and doing the family business back in 1995. It had been started by my father, and uh, he was at a position whereby he'd gone in the business as far as he was, he was interested in doing it. And um, he was potentially looking to sort of put his plans in place to retire uh, or to sell the business. I looked at it and thought, well, okay, I continue working in advertising, marketing, the selling side of things that I had been doing or to join the family business. So I took the option at 28 that uh, joining the family business was exactly what I wanted to do. And I joined back in, back in 1995. Okay, wow. And so... What made your father get into rental then? Um, it was a new business at the time. It was a, new, a fairly new, fairly entrepreneurial industry, I would say, when he joined the business. Um, but he'd worked with uh, a number of other companies involved in the hire of tools and equipment plants uh, across Scotland. And having worked for other people, he decided rather than working and, and generating profits and, and revenue for them, he wanted to do it by himself. So um, he took it upon himself just to set up and uh, went ahead with this with a sort of friend, a colleague they had at the time uh, and set up. And so at the time, was there much competition around? Because at that time, was it really, as you said, more of an entrepreneurial opportunity? Much more of a, yeah, Mark, I would say it's much more of an entrepreneurial uh, opportunity at that time. The industry wasn't very well known. It was working from back sheds. Uh, there wasn't any great presentation, mucky yards, dirty yards. Um, yeah, very much in its infancy, I would say, back in, 19, back in 1974. The had been around 10, 20 years previous, but primarily for bigger equipment. Um, but this was us sort of starting, I would say, the, the country sort of starting to move into the, into the smaller side of the smaller side of tool hire, etc. And then so the business started around Glasgow, did it, and expand out? Or what was yeah, the demographics? So demographics initially was in one depot, uh, which opened up in one of the old... Govan dockyards, uh, one of the one of the Glasgow dockyards, uh, one of the shipbuilding warehouses, which he moved into. I used to be sort of taken in there on my route to school at the age of at the age of five, sorry, at the age of sort of seven, in the early morning sort of thing, um, before being run to school. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just any opportunity you could. But what what that building where we did originally start got knocked down a number of years ago, and now the sort of the the, uh, the Glasgow or the, the Scottish hydro exhibition and conference centre has now been built so that's where the business originally started from uh, the one depot there 
he then had to move due to the building of the council, etc., building of, the, of these premises, or not these premises, of the exhibition centre. He moved out of that, that was all being demolished, moved to new premises, and then slowly started to, to expand. Um, and from there, from, from Glasgow, then moved to Motherwell, uh, Motherwell being sort of the steel industry, Ravenscraig, the steel industry of, of, of Scotland. And he moved premises or opened up new premises there to sort of try and supply the steel industry and what was being manufactured at, uh, at Ravenscraig. How did the industry evolve then? Because you mentioned that he was thinking about selling the business. Like, was it going through tough times or like what was the, I guess, the, the goal for selling the business and then you obviously taking over? Well, really what happened is he expanded the business, opened up depots throughout the sorts the, um, the central belt of Scotland, uh, numerous depots being being opened uh, where he saw industry, where he saw a need for, for particular tool hire and for the product lines that we had, uh, having expanded, having grown. He was hitting the age, I think it was about 55 he was, he was looking at and thinking to himself, what am I going to do with this? Um, am I going to retire? Am I going to sell? What's happening? But that particular moment in time, uh, I would say the national companies were starting to get themselves established across the UK. Uh, and the nationals, it was when they had a number of offers from, from the likes of Huden Two Hire, Huden Plant, were interested in talking to him at one stage. Speedy Hire, I think, came in to talk to him and, and were interested in acquiring the business uh, back in 1994. They didn't have a presence in Scotland, were looking to open in Scotland. And uh, Martin Panhire, being the, the largest independent at that time, uh, took upon themselves to approach my father. He had the offer there. Was he interested or did he wish to continue working with the business? So, Having grown up with the business since the age of seven, it's not something I wanted to see go. And I decided that, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll resign from where I was. And I decided to take on the business back in back in 1995 or to join him back in 1995. It sounds like it, it means a lot to you that you sort of kept it a family-owned business as well rather than selling off to one of the nationals. I would agree with you. It's something I grew up with. It was just something that was almost part of my life. Um, my father had a number of jobs before he set the business up. It was a fantastic opportunity, and I just thought, well, he's going to go. I don't want to lose this. Um, at that point in time, the rest of the family, my sister was away. She was she was working down south um, in the medical industry. My brother was a stockbroker. He had no interest either. And it was really down to me that I want to, what do we want to do. So I just took it upon myself, right, well, let's go forward. Why not? I'll join the business, and we'll, we'll, I'll learn from you before you retire. And then we can take the business further forward thereafter. So that was the, that was the thinking. That was the planning behind it. Okay. And so when you're younger, you're sort of helping out in the yard and the office as need be. And then you went off and did your own studies and then you came back, yes. you said. Yes, I came back and when I left, yeah, when I sort of grew up on Saturday mornings, we're always coming into coming into Martin Plant Hire. Not that I did any servicing of machines or, or did anything at all. I didn't really do that until I was about 18 um, when I could drive and summer jobs, Easter jobs, Christmas jobs, I was always helping out doing deliveries and stuff. Uh, but having left university, I uh, joined a couple of advertising agencies. Uh, I then worked as a, manu as a marketing manager with uh, a fitted kitchen company uh, whose business was primarily online. Uh, I sort of direct business online sort of thing. And uh, I then got involved in medical sales and I worked in the sales environment, basically selling uh, aspirin inhalers to, to doctors. In the west coast of Scotland, which was which gave me the sales experience I think I needed as much as anything else. So I knew how to get out there, how to talk to people, how to talk to GPs. And really I was at, I, I don't know whether, I don't think I ever had in my mind a definite that I joined the family business. I was always very keen to do my own thing. Uh, but I did that uh, for a number of years and then decided, right, okay, the business is there. Do I want it? Do I not? And yeah, I just didn't want to see the business 
disappeared. So I decided to join the, join the family business and join, join my father, work with my father for a number of years. Okay. And so what was the size of the business when you first joined? Joined the business, it was turning over about three and a half million and operated from 11 depots across the central belt of Scotland. And today, what's the size of the business? Uh, the business is now turning over seven and a half million and we're now operating purely out of seven depots. We reduced the number of depots simply because as I see it, having oper- operating out of various premises, um, there's obviously an overhead cost, um, you've got to have vehicles, you've got to stock it, etc. And the business has changed in that customers want equipment, they want it delivered to their site, whereas previously they used to come and collect it. But nowadays I would say customers come to you because they want, um, they want us to deliver. So I don't think having premises everywhere really matters. I think so a city like the size of Glasgow, I don't think you need any more than one, business, one, 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 one facility, because from that one facility you can operate and you can deliver to any part of Glasgow within 15, 20 minutes. Uh, customers want us to deliver. They don't care where it's coming from as long as it gets to them when they need it and it's working. That's what matters. Yeah, so that's actually an interesting point. So did you, growing up and then till even to today, did you see changes in the in the Scottish market in the way that the customers were interacting and maybe even the types of equipment that were put out there, the maturity of the market, things like that? Significant change, yes. Certainly what we've noticed over time is the percentage of deliveries that we do for hires has increased, oh, tenfold. Um, well, not tenfold, but you know, I'd say previously 50% of all business that we did would have been collections, people coming to see us. But now I'd say majority of our business-to-business customers, they want us to deliver. So we will deliver, I would say, probably 75 to 80% of everything that we do. Um, customers just want the stuff on site. They've got to look after their costs. There's no point to them having guys going in vans to collect equipment. They want their guys on site being productive. So they want you to deliver it. So yeah, that's something that we have a, we have a tendency to do. Yes, to deliver more than anything else. And so does that mean that it's changed the way you engage with the customers as well, especially from a location standpoint? Because it turns into less about serving a customer in front of you in terms of ensuring that you can hit KPIs to get equipment at the certain uh, site in certain time. Yes, because customers now have a tendency to phone or to email. Uh, whereas previously it'd all be done by phone and pop, customers would just pop in the door without without uh, prior knowledge. So yeah, in terms of communicating with customers, it's changed, I would say, significantly. Um, and again, there's so much more uh, done over the phone or by email that we've had to invest and set up like a small call centre to take our customers' calls, to take uh, our customers' emails and to also offer uh, or also supply like an additional service to our depots. If you can't get the phone call, and get the phone call answered within a short space of time, we automatically have our system in place whereby it will be transferred over to the uh, the call centre, which we call Hire Hub. Uh, we'll transfer it across to Hire Hub just to make sure we don't miss any inquiries, miss any leads, miss any, any particular business, you know? Yeah, I've actually heard of similar concepts in Australia, actually. So if the phone rings more than three times, it goes to a hub, and that person is acting like they're working out of the branch or location that the person was calling. Is that the similar concept you've got set up? Similar concept that we've got. Uh, they can operate out the branch, they can transfer, they can even take the hire and say, not a problem at all. Where do you want to deliver to? And they all then contact the branch automatically. But again, the other service that they do provide is we might not have a particular piece of equipment in the branch closest to that site or wherever that customer requires it. So that then leaves it with the hire hub to find the piece of equipment and make sure it gets to the site in time. So it takes the hassle, takes the problems away from our mm. from an existing customer. 
And so those people that you get in those hubs, are they very experienced people from the branches or how do you recruit for those? Because they have to be have a certain skill set, I would assume. Yeah, we have a depot manager who has oh, 20 odd years of experience in the head industry, um, who actually runs the depot and the, the, the staff that he has around him all have industry experience. In fact, one girl joined us, I think it was seven or eight years ago, didn't have any higher industry experience at all, but over a period of time has picked up and understood the equipment that we've got. She's spent time in a depot learning what the equipment is so she can then answer the questions and ask the right questions of customers when they phone with an inquiry. And so over the years as well, has the equipment that you provide to your customer evolved much as well? Yes, I would say it has quite significantly. Um, I mean, concrete, for example, has changed significantly. Concrete uh, used to always get a pour, you get a pour at a particular time, um, whereas concrete now, it comes more or less ready set, ready made, uh, and the equipment that customers require for that is significantly less. And we used to supply a lot of what we call bunion strikers, these roller strikers. We go out and hire, and for every particular concrete core, uh, concrete pour um, equipment, the vibrant or the bunion striker would be used. Nowadays, there's no need for it because the concrete more or less comes ready set uh, and, it's just, and it's just laid. So it really just needs to be cured or it needs to be um, finished off, whereas previously it used to be much, a much sort of wetter, wetter, harder job to do. So, yeah, concrete, I mean, I'd say all equipment has changed. Battery-operated equipment, I mean, your dirty fuels like your petrol, your diesel, are going to be phased out over a period of time just as... Uh, petrol, diesel cars are going to be phased out, electric's coming in, so there's a significant number of, or significant move towards electrical equipment, including mini diggers, all your power tools, all these things. So yeah, there's been a significant change in equipment that uh, the customers are looking for. What's like the largest piece of equipment that you would provide to your customers? We currently provide anything from your, your power tools right up to sort of three ton diggers and dumpers and powered access machines. Um, so it's actually as, as big as we get. And then if it's any bigger than that, do you have like referrals or do you do sub-hire where you bring something? Yeah, we, what we call rehire. So yes, we have a number of different partners that we operate with. Obviously, we're then making, what we try to do is be the one-stop shop for our customer base. So we will supply our customers with uh, whatever piece of equipment they require. If they need a 10-ton digger or they need a 35-ton digger, uh, we'll do our best to try and find it for them, get it, find the right price, Obviously, there'll be a margin involved for us as being the middleman, and we'll then try and supply our supply our customer directly with, with mm. whatever their equipment needs are. Over the years as well, has the pricing changed a lot with equipment? Has it become more competitive? Has it been discounted? Has it been a big factor? Like, how's that sort of evolved? Oh, I'd say prices, yes. With introduction of the nationals, it is that competitive price has changed quite, quite, quite drastically. And there's always different ways of doing things for your bigger customers. You'd maybe look at free delivery, increased discounts, all these things um, have played a part in, in, in the competition. Um, so yeah, there's definitely been an erosion of price, I would have said, over the years. At the same time, our customers have got and have understood or now understand the higher industry and how it operates an awful lot better. So previously, a customer would lose a machine, you could quite comfortably price them a full replacement cost. Nowadays, the customer far better educated, much more, or they have a much greater understanding uh, of how we operate, how we make our money. And they're looking at, okay, what's your depreciated value? The insurance companies have come in on that as well. What's your depreciated value? What's your what's your costs of running and stuff? So yeah, I mean, competition has, has played a big part of it. But again, customer knowledge has, has also played a part. So I'd say customer knowledge, or the mix of the both, has, uh, has reduced price, I'd say, to, our, to the end mm. user quite significantly. 
Okay. And so when you first joined the business and you're getting, um, I guess, mentored by your father, like what did you, what role did you first step into? Did you go straight into a managing director role or what was your evolution then? No, I, the first role I had was, I was quite surprised. The two furthest away depots, uh, I live in Glasgow, so the two first, furthest away depots were Perth and Dundee. Um, well, in fact, even before that started, uh, the first thing my father did was welcome to the company, right? You're moving to work for a company called the Rental Centre down in Gloucester. So I spent my first year working for a company with people I'd never met before and I worked with them for a year, uh, whereby I was a fitter, whereby I was a hire controller, whereby I was a salesman, whereby I was a depot manager. And over a period of 12 months, they gave me various roles to play uh, so I could learn exactly what was going on in the industry in that part of the, in that part of the country and learn every particular role within the business. Uh, so, I mean, deliveries have done all my days at, at Christmas and Easter, but I joined the, the rental centre uh, to learn firsthand uh, how a manager manages, how a hire controller runs the front desk, how a fitter checks machines, makes sure machines are fit, ready for hire, etc. And then I joined the business, came back up to Scotland, joined my father uh, in Scotland, and uh, the first thing he did was ask me to go and troubleshoot two of his depots, which were Perth and Dundee. Things weren't going as well with them as he had hoped. But I go and spend a couple of years up there working with them. Let's try and get those two depots on their feet, moving in the right direction. So I spent a year, possibly two years, I think it ended up being, uh, working up in person and trying to find out how things were going. Uh, so I did that. And then over a period of time, just slowly getting myself involved with, with the other depots across the company. And so it sounds like those learnings are really fundamental to making you the person you are today in the business. Yes. I mean, I think you've got to understand what happens in the workshop, what happens with deliveries, um, what can go wrong with equipment, how to start equipment. All these things, I think, help you out enormously just so you can understand the day-to-day -day running of a tool-hire business uh, to make sure your customer gets the right piece of equipment at the right time in the right location. So, yes, I think that did, that stood me in good stead for the, for the work going forward. And I think also when you do those roles and then you move up the ladder you have an appreciation for the people that are doing those roles in the future, knowing yes. that driver's done that extra mile to do that, or that technician's gone above and beyond to make sure the customer's got the equipment running, or that salesperson's done this. Just knowing exactly what they've done, I think, plays a big part in, in having that knowledge of, of your team. Yes, it does. And it also helps your customer as well, because one thing you don't want to do is over-promise and under-deliver. So if a customer says, I need this machine, I need it within the next hour, Okay, you've got to make sure you've got that machine. You've got to think, well, hold on, how long is it, or does it need to be checked? How long will that take? How long does it take to get that machine to the site or the location where it's required? You've got to understand all these things and understand the people that are working with you to put that in place. So, yeah, it definitely stands you mm. in good stead going forward. What were some of the challenges that you faced when you first joined the businesses, and how do they differ from the challenges that you face today? There's always been competition, but I'd say competition is the big thing uh, today. Um, and it's definitely one of the big, one of the biggest areas that's always going to be looked at. Um, I think we were in Scotland, we were established first, we were well known, um, but technology's moved on. The customer base, uh, the knowledge of the customer base has, has become better known because of um, communication, um, because of social media, all these things. But everybody's customer base, I think, in the industry, everybody knows who everybody's customers are, who they're working with, and I think the customer bases are known. So, yeah, certainly back in back when I joined the business, we had our own customer base. We'd been established. We set it up. We got it going. 
Uh, but people have moved around, people have changed jobs. So the, the customer base we have, I think everybody now knows, as again, we know our competitors with customer bases as well. So yeah, that, that's significantly changed. The movement with the nationals who've got bigger, deeper pockets than we have, I think has been a, a significant change. Um, and I'd say also when you set something up back in 1974, set up something entrepreneurial, it took time uh, for other people to see what you're doing, for other people to then invest in that and, and move forward with that. You do anything new today, it doesn't take very long for your competitors or new companies to set up and understand how your, your workings and how you're, how you're going about it. And I think today, a lot of people move around between companies quite a lot as well. So they'll jump around and it's, it, they can take the, the knowledge from the other company and, and put it in another business as well. We're very lucky. I would say a large percentage of our staff have been with us so, I mean, we've got members of staff that have been with us, Craigie and I, on 40 years. We've got other members of staff, but the loyalty with a lot of our staff is still there. But there is, yeah, there's a lot of people that move about. Yes, definitely. Mm. Uh, it's frustrating because you invest, you train, they get to know your customer base, to get to know how you work. Somebody comes in with a slightly better offer and they move jobs. And okay, you've got to understand and you do understand why it happens, but uh, people are always looking for the best for themselves. So, yeah, they do have a tendency to move around quite, quite, quite a lot. Mm. Sounds like if you've got people that have been there for 40 years, culture plays a big part in the business as well. Like setting up that culture and that that uh, ability to, I guess, have that team mindset within the business. Is that something that you really focus a lot on? Yes, team mindset, understanding the business, understand what we do, how we get on with things is, yeah, is, is a big, big thing. And the people have been with us for 40 years are comfortable, know what they're doing. Okay, they've been an employee, but they're also personal friends. There's a strong bond, working bond there. You know them well. And uh, yeah, it's just part and part of life. And yeah, they don't want to change it. They're comfortable, happy where they are. And yeah, it, it is definitely just a way of life. It's just the culture of the business and, and they're comfortable. They've played a big part in, in setting that culture up. And I guess those people are also part of the reason on what, what how the business has become what it is today as well. And without those yes. people, it wouldn't be uh, as large organization. It's still running uh, as an organization as well. Yeah, I mean, having been around 47 years, it is very definitely down to those people being with us. So, yeah, it's thanks to them that we've managed to keep going and, and, and uh, keep going as long as, as, long as we have. Uh, but again, I think at the same time, we've tried to reward them as best we possibly can to keep them motivated, to keep them going, uh, to keep them as part of the business. If you could give some advice to somebody else that was thinking about starting their own hire business, what would you say to them? Very good question. Um, I think the first thing I would say is you've got to research very definitely what you're looking to do and the products that you're looking to hire. The standard products, cup quick saws, small mini diggers, etc. There's, there's so many different hire companies that are all doing those already. I think you've got to look at your product and invest carefully and invest very wisely in the products that you're looking to hire. Some products give a fantastic return, others significantly, significantly not. Uh, if you take, for example, I don't know, mixers, I mean, mixers go out 10 a penny nowadays, uh, but it's just a necessary evil on every particular building site. They've always got to be there. But the money a hire company can make, the time you think about getting the machine out on hire, you bring it back in because the job it's doing is going to be cleaned, it's going to be checked. And it's just a dirty product. That's all there is to it. So, and the rates that people are asking for nowadays, they are significantly less than they used to be 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, for the return you get. So I think investing in something wisely, something that is more niche, 
uh, market that's more specialised, I think is possibly the way to go rather than getting the run of the mill product lines that are, that are out there and they have been for 30, 40 years to be honest. So that's certainly something to think about. I think having an online presence is a big part of it. Uh, you've got to make sure you, can, you open your market up. You want to deal with, with a B2B business, uh, obviously deal with other businesses or other construction companies. But again, I think you've got to think about the consumer market as well. Um, invest wisely, look at look at your marketplace and look at your location. The location can make a, have a huge impact. Uh, but gone are the days when I think every hair company used to try and open up uh, a location in, in a small town of anything from 75, 80,000 upwards. Uh, I think you've got to look at it because people are looking for you to deliver. People are looking at you to, to get the products to them. They're not going to be walking into your shop as much as they used to be. So I think you've got to look at location and think about it wisely, make sure your delivery ideas are, are correct and you're going, to, you're going to make good money and a good return on the products that you're, that you're looking to hire. Just touching on about an online business. So I read online that Martin Plan Hire recently took out a franchise agreement with Easy Hire. So what does this mean to Martin Plan Hire and its customers? As I see it, uh, I believe like the retail industry, the retail industry, particularly during COVID, it has an, it's had an absolute battering. And the likes of Amazon have grown enormously. Uh, home deliveries have grown enormously. I just see business in time to come is just all going to be done online uh, as far as as far as possible. Um, okay, if you want to buy a pair of shoes, you want to buy a suit, maybe you want to see it, try it on, touch it, feel it. Yes, I understand that. But I think the hand industry, if you've got a job to do in your garden, you want to cut your grass, well, I need a lawnmower. How am I going to get a lawnmower? Do I buy a lawnmower or can I hire a lawnmower? And I think if people know they're wanting to hire, I think in time to come more and more uh, will look to hire. I think more and more will look to hire to hire online. So I see online really being being the way ahead for, okay, initially I would say the, the consumer market, but I think in the business, the business market as well. I just see the growth in that coming in coming in time, as long as the customer knows what they're what they're looking to looking to that equipment to do. Um, so I see that growing. And the, the thing with easy uh, easy to hire. It's something I'd be very keen to do in terms of business to business with the, the Scotland construction industry. I'd say Martin Planner, having been around 47 years, has always been well known. Uh, we've visited the customers, we've seen the customers, they'll know the name, they'll have seen the vans and the roads, uh, they'll know who we are. The consumer market, I think, is slightly different. I don't think the homeowner, the DIY enthusiast, will know the name Martin Planner. Uh, we're a tool and equipment hire, although we, we call ourselves plant hire, we go up to, to small plants. But I think trying to get in front of people online, I think the introduction of easy to hire to us, I think is a easy to hire being a brand or easy as an easy jet or easy family companies is a brand name that's extremely well known. Um, I think it's a brand the consumer will trust because it's been around for as long as it has. It's huge within the UK, easy, to, uh, easy brand when it's, okay, living beside an airport, I'm not far away from an airport. The, the one jet that I have seen throughout all of this uh, COVID problems. If the one jet that I have seen every day, more or less, I'd say is an easy jet. It's an easy jet. It's it's still flying. It's still in the skies. It, you see it parked at the airport on a regular basis, so it's always there. Um, the good thing for Martin Planner is we can piggyback on the band name of of Easy Tool Hire. I think for the consumer sees it in front, they'll think trust, think they can get something from it, uh, and it'll be a, a company they can trust and, and, and deal with going forward. Mm, and I assume it's just going to really add that layer of a really good user experience as well. So really guiding that consumer through the process to give them what they are actually looking for in terms of a, a requirement for the hire and then 
uh, being able to do payments and stuff like that. So like, what, what's the scope of the, of the, uh, the easy to hire platform? The scope, I mean, I, I think using the word easy, it's just trying to make hire as easy as we possibly can in a nutshell. Uh, the customer goes on, knows what he's looking for and can pay up front, can pay in advance uh, or can pay us directly when we deliver. It's a very simple, very easy website for the, for the consumer or the customer to use. And really what we're trying to do is get equipment to a customer when they need it, when they need it, or collect it uh, as simple and as easy as we possibly can. And the analogy I always use uh, to, to touch on the point where you think you said it's probably going to slowly transition where more and more people are going to want things online. I always use the analogy of if you wanted to hire a car, you, you wouldn't send an email to Hertz or Avis or phone them. You would do it online. Like 99% of the time you would book your hire online for your, your hire car. And I think that the tool hire side and the even the construction side and the, the contractor side, it's going to slowly evolve in more and more. And it's the people that don't take advantage of that now will really be the ones that will be behind in the future. And the people that do take advantage of it now are going to be well ahead of any of those companies. I think you've got to be. I think that's where it's going. I think making things as simple as you possibly can, and booking your hotel, uh, your banking, anything you do now is done on an app, it's done on your phone, it's done on your iPad, it's done on your computer. That's just the way I see things going forward in time to come. The construction industry, I always think it's a wee bit behind the rest of the industries, uh, but I think the construction industry will catch up on this. I think the construction industry will do more and more. So if the construction industry requires materials, if it requires hire, whatever it requires, I think in time to come, we'll do more and more online. And so in Scotland, when it comes to those uh, those large contractors, do you require to provide a lot of documentation along with the equipment as well, like uh, service history or maintenance checks uh, or risk assessments or any operational guides of the equipment? Yes. I mean, every every machine we have is hired before it goes. I mean, we buy a new machine, first stop, a new machine we'll have will be straight into the into the workshop, where it'll be checked, it'll be tested, it'll be ticketed. Um, they're ready for hire tag, and every piece of equipment is serviced prior to going in any hire. A machine comes back in, it has to be checked, and our computer systems will not allow a machine to go out on hire until it has been checked. So every piece of equipment is going to be checked, it's then ticketed, and out, and out it goes on hire. There are also user instructions attached, uh, and we also conduct demonstrations. Okay, the construction industry know how to use a still saw, they know how to use most of the machinery, but the DIY market don't. So what we'll always look to do is, uh, is provide a demonstration for the customer, whether on site, or if they come to collect, demonstrations are always done and every single piece of equipment goes out with uh, various hire contracts. We'll take ID if it's required. Uh, we provide an insurance service as well uh, for the user, just like hiring a car. If you, if you hire a car, you need to have insurance. Well, that's fine if the customer's got his own insurance or you take the particular hire com car company's insurance. We provide insurance service as well uh, and we provide all the, all, the, all, the, all the necessary paperwork to back that up. Yeah. So one of the things that I've seen in Australia in particular is so certain contractors won't allow, say, let's just say a Sizzlift, for example, Sizzlift to go on the job site without having the service history of the machine uh, attached to the machine. So they're very strong compliance around that. And I've seen companies actually attach QR codes to machines and they can scan that and it goes and finds the service history in their software package and then provides that through. I, I feel like it's something that's really taking off a lot in Australia, but to that level of compliance, is that something in Scotland? Yeah, that level of compliance is there. QR codes is not something we've introduced as yet, but it's something that we, we I, I believe will make life easier for the user at the end of the day. So it's something we will have to introduce. 
but we will certainly all your your service history etc uh, we have all of that online available for a customer wherever they want if a customer wants to email to them we can email it to them but again a copy of the service history or the record card whatever uh, is attached to the machine that we should out and hire along with user instructions and a copy of yeah. our contact as well. so it is it is done that way yeah, because I, I can just see like so much benefits of like yeah, having the service history, even providing like insurance records or registrations, those, those videos that you said, like how to, how to use the machine potentially. There's just a lot of benefits. So I, I can really see technology really morphing to really improve the engagement with those end, end customers. Uh, I think technology years. is the hold for us, for us all going forward. Uh, and I think it's a big thing when I think everything we've done in apps, I think... Yeah, the simpler you can make the customer experience, the better. And they need the information at their fingertips. It's not paperwork. They want it online. They want it on their iPad. They want it on their mobile phone. They want it on their uh, their, their mainstream computer sort of thing. So, yeah, I definitely think that's the way ahead, making things as simple and as easy for our customers as we, as we possibly can. And then, for, so what about the guys that are, or the people that are returning equipment? Is that something that you're doing online as well, where you can like scan the equipment or enter the equipment and do the return on a mobile device or is still more of a counter sort of engagement? Still more of a counter operation at the moment. Um, and we, if we're going to collect a piece of equipment with all the paperwork required to off-hire a piece of equipment, off-hire lines will be supplied uh, by, our, by, our, uh, by our driver if it's collected or if, if coming into the depot, we'll, we'll supply all of that. But again, what we have a tendency to do is we actually photograph every piece of equipment when it goes out and higher, showing the condition it's in, and then we will take a photograph of a piece of equipment when it's being off-hired. So we can check the condition of it to make sure it's, it's looking okay, make sure there's no damages. So we take photographs at both ends. And again, these are available available online for our customers. But again, everything's done. It is done and can be uh, supplied by email. It's not actually physically done email on site but we can actually get that get that information to the customer if they want and then so with technology evolving so fast like how do we ensure both your business and your customers uh, get the maximum benefit from these sort of evolutions we've got to keep on our toes keep investing and keep looking at new innovations that are coming through looking at equipment for example uh, there's various exhibitions we attend during the year uh, where our suppliers are are uh, showing off the particular equipment they have. So we've got to make sure we, we attend these to make sure we invest in the new products going forward. Uh, our buyer is seeing suppliers on a regular basis finding out new products that they are bringing out to, uh, to coincide with health and safety measures, to coincide with government legislation. So we're continually looking to invest in that side. In terms of technology, having an app, having the best rental systems, having the best online service, think a lot of that this industry will pick up just because of experiences they have booking a car to hire booking a, a flying ticket or really booking an airline ticket really we want to catch up with those industries and be doing and making things as simple as they possibly can mirroring what they are particular they are doing if you take easyjet for example you can book an easyjet flight you can book your seat you can book your food you can do everything online but get your ticket you get everything online you don't even have to bother with the mm. paperwork print off the documentation that goes with it you then go onto the aircraft, go straight to your seats, and it's all done on your iPhone. It's, it's fantastic. So I think keeping ahead of, of, of everything that's happening technology-wise, we've got to learn from what everybody else is doing and introduce that into the ad industry as much and as quickly as we possibly can. Mm. And then with the OEM side, it seems like the telematics is just taking a life of its own as well. 
where you can get so much information about equipment that you can use internally for your own decisions. And you can also empower your customers potentially as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I just keep you up to speed with everything as much as you can and just learning from it as much as you can, to be honest with you. Technology's it's not going to sit still. Um, I mean, I don't know where we'll be in the next 20 years, but technology is going to continue building at a pace, which is, which is terrific, you know? Mm. And so over your career, who do you think played a big influence on you from a mentor perspective? I think I'm going to say my father's had such a, such had a massive influence. Um, there's different things that I learned from him that I don't think you learn at school. I don't think you learn at university. He's very much been my mentor, I would have thought. Coming into the business, I learned from his sort of 40, 50 years of work experience. Uh, I learned from him, his views on hire, his views on managing people, how to manage and get the best out of the different people that work within the organization. So I learned, I'd say I learned an awful lot from him. Um, and I'd say over a period of time working with him, he did become my biggest, become my biggest friend and my, and my mentor, to be honest with you. So, yeah, um, he unfortunately passed away a number of years ago, but he was he was he was terrific to work with, uh, quite charismatic in, in his own way, um, and latterly just left me to get on with things. Which, in the fullness of time, I learned really was was probably him giving me the training that I needed, the training that I required to to take the business and to go forward. How do you define success? And was there a defining moment so far? Do you think in your career? Success for me. Uh, in the higher industry is revenue growth and profit when that's really what it all comes down to and that's the be all and the end all of life and it's, it's working the business to, to keep that going uh, I think is, is the big thing and it's whatever you do if you're going to hire a plant you just got to get out there and you've got to hire it so um, yeah that's how I will define success bringing on new customers having a successful job yeah I'd say that's that's definitely definitely the way forward Um defining moment I can't really think of a defining moment as such it's just building the business and going forward is really what the what the, what the truth is behind it it's just building and building and building it and keeping it going and yeah it's been a tough 12 months with COVID but uh, yeah you just going to get back up on your feet again and keep going I think the entire nation uh, the whole entire world is feeling that uh, it's demotivational it's been a very very tough time but you just got to get up and keep going and keep going mm. and just you know, take what, whatever punches you get thrown and uh Pick yourself back up and go again, I think. Yeah, well, just listening to your story, I would say that your defining moment is that you decided to actually join the family business. Imagine if you didn't join and then you went off and were doing marketing or something or you, you took some other career, like you could have been a completely different person today. Yeah, I'd agree with you, Mark. Um, yeah, it's completely different when you're running your own business as to working with somebody else. Uh, yeah, you have, when the rewards are there, fantastic. When things are difficult, okay, you don't sleep at night. Um, but it certainly keeps you motivated. You've got to be motivated. You've got to keep going. And yeah, join the family business. Where would it be now? I don't know where I would be. Probably less motivated, probably means significantly less in my life, I would suggest, rather than joining the business. All right, Angie. Well, I really want to thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Great. Mark, thank you. Please like, share, follow the Rental Journal podcast, and we'll see everyone in next week's episode.